Thank you, David and Chris, for your kind hospitality, and also to the church family here for giving me this opportunity to participate in your missions weekend. It is really a real privilege and an honor. The first book that was given to me as a young believer was the Bible, and I was reading that in two weeks. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and Chris says I should tell that as an encouragement to those of you who are now going through the Bible in a year. Uh, and uh, the second book that was given to me, I mean not the second book, but the second major book was a one-volume commentary by Sidlow Baxter. And as a young Christian, I was reading Baxter one-volume commentary. So a little bit like what uh, our brother uh, was sharing with us, Edwin Tay, that you know, you do not know what a blessing this church has been uh, to the worldwide church. Let us pray for God's blessings as we look at his word. Our Father, we come to you to announce your kingdom that came with our Lord Jesus Christ. But Lord, we are conscious we live in a world in need, often a broken world, a world that's divided, that cause your heart to have a deep passion and concern. We pray tonight as we look at Romans chapter 8, help us to enter to your heart so that we as your people can incarnate your, uh, your gospel and be part of a blessings in a world of pain. For we pray in Jesus' name. We are going to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 17 to 27. If you have the Bible, uh, we will be reading uh, the full 10 verses. I will be reading from the NIV, Romans chapter 8, verses 17 to 27. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now... If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I, Paul, consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is sin is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, 
we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. For He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. If we have our transparency, we will be looking at this first introduction. What is your greatest need? We live in a world of need, and sometimes we think that our greatest need is to have a material security, well-being. If you are typical Asian parents, you feel that the greatest need for your children is to give them a good education. We live in a world of need, in a world of globalization. What happens in Africa, in Asia, whether it's in Hurricane Katrina or the tsunami, you and I as Christians, as God's people, all this world of need will enter into our living room. And we have a choice. Sometimes we become numbed to the needs of poverty, not because we are unconcerned, but because we live in this avalanche, this horrendous uh, need in the world that we do not know how we ought to respond. I first began this meditation after the time of tsunami because we have workers with the OMF who was working in Indonesia where they are working in the midst of seeing thousands of bodies floating after the tsunami. And our worker says, I can't sleep because I see these bodies floating throughout the river. So I want to offer this, not only in terms of the world of need, but also with a pastoral concern that Paul has for the church in Rome. Because we as God's people, we live in a groaning creation. We live in a fallen world. And we, too, cannot sometimes protect ourselves. I'm conscious that today is the 157th day of this life of pain that a friend of mine, who is the elder of a church in Malaysia, where 157 days ago, his 10-year-old son was found almost dying, drowning in a swimming pool while they were on holiday. And by God's grace, they managed to rescue this 10-year-old son. But then he is left with brain dead. He's in coma. And now they are just trying on this long journey of trying to uh, rehabilitate him. Praying that as they journey in this time of pain, that God will enable them still to find God in a time of pain. So we do not know what the future lies even among Christians, that we are not protected from living in a world of pain. So what is your greatest need? The theme of Romans 8 is the extraordinary mission of the people of God within the overarching plan of God for the rebirth of the entire creation. And this is a context of Romans chapter 8, that God has this plan to bring about the healing of the entire creation. 
Romans chapter 8, verse six, uh, 17 talks about as Christians, we are heirs of God. We have an inheritance. Now, out of this idea of inheritance, in the history of Christian interpretation, people have used different ideas. One, for example, is that this world is uh, totally, uh, it, it belongs to us. We as Christians have the world as our inheritance, so we can go to the rest of the world and colonize the world, conquer the world with a Christian gospel. And out of the reaction against that, today, sometimes we find another extreme of this idea of the world as totally evil. You know, uh, this world is not my home. This inheritance is not in this world. It's purely spiritual. So we have these songs, I'm just passing through. The gospel have nothing to speak about the sufferings of the world because our interpretation of inheritance is entirely spiritual. Another extreme reaction is that the world is totally good and that this inheritance is purely in this world. So we have the idea of a liberal and social gospel that we seek to build a new humanity on earth because this is our inheritance on earth. What is the Christian view of the world? Now, the Apostle Paul comes against this dichotomy, this two extreme view of the world as totally evil or the world as totally good. He said the whole creation is good but incomplete in verse 19. Creation is still waiting with eager expectation. Creation in verse 20 is good, but at present in bondage. And that, to some extent, gives us a clue about the problem of evil in this world. Creation in verse 21 is good, but still awaiting for liberation. And particularly the climax of Paul's first section is that creation is good, but pregnant with a future world. Look at verse 22. Paul uses this metaphor of a woman in the pains of childbirth. We must not forget today is Mother's Day, and we want to wish our mothers a blessed Mother's Day. But you can only be a mother because of this sole qualification that you have experienced what your husband have not experienced. And that has been going through the pains of childbirth. And no matter how you try to describe to men, we could never understand it because this particular experience of being pregnant in the pains of childbirth. And yet in the midst of that pain, you have this hope of bringing about a newborn child. To some extent, this is the tension of the kingdom of God that is already and yet not yet. And for the Christians, we live in a fallen world. But we live in this knowledge that God is bringing about a rebirth of the entire creation. So for a long time in, in biblical uh, studies, Previously, people think about heaven as out there, entirely separated from the current world. But the Apostle Paul is saying that the new heavens and the new earth 
is going to come out of the current earth. And that is part of the mystery. In verse 23, the Apostle Paul now brings to a second section where he used this conjunction, not only so, but we, the church. It is this picture of like a Russian doll. You know, a Russian doll, uh, you open up the, just now, this morning at the service, one small girl came by and she brought the Russian doll. And as she opened up the Russian doll, inside there's another replica of the exact doll. And this is a picture that the Apostle Paul is drawing to us. That while creation is groaning, not only so, but we, the church, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we too are groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. Now, one of the benefits of studying the original language in Greek is that we will begin to find that verse 22 the Apostle Paul is using the same words. For example, in verse 19, he says that creation is longing, or in the NIV, waiting in eager expectation. In verse 23, Paul used the same Greek word. Just as creation is longing, so we, the church, are to also be longing. It is almost like a twin tract, co-longing. So that we cannot separate the longing and the waiting eagerly of the church from the longing of the world. In the same way, he used these words in verse 22, just as the whole creation has been groaning, not only so. We, the church, are to be groaning inwardly. Now what Paul is doing is that Paul is saying that within the church, what is our groaning? Our groaning should not be separated from the groaning of the world, of the whole creation. Now, sometimes we find the real groaning in the church is that we can't stand one another. You know, the real groaning of church is when there's division. Uh, the groaning of a church sometimes are so isolated from the real groaning of the world. And Paul says that the incarnational church is to identify with the pain of our broken world. And this is the danger of the Christian gospel. The next slide. The danger of what we call a reductionism of the gospel. Where you know in, the, in, the, in the, this uh, uh, copier machine, where you reduce everything. We tend to reduce the gospel to mere words, just proclamation. Or some people, the liberals, tend to reduce the gospel to mere deeds without the gospel. And then others, maybe a charismatic version, look at the gospel merely in terms of its power. But when we read the Christian gospel, I'm talking about the four gospels, we find that our Lord Jesus seeks to bring about this comprehensive gospel. And this is a challenge for the incarnational church. It is very easy for us to do mission going out there and coming back to witness one or two and evangelize to one or two converts. And then we build an underground railway towards heaven. So it's nice to worship as a worshiping community. 
But until and unless the church begins to reach out to our community around us, that we need to do a survey of Edinburgh, that we cannot just come just as a gathered community and have a nice spiritual gospel without engaging with the problems of society. But we cannot engage with the problems of society merely giving structural solution without the transforming power of the Christian gospel. You know, the world today has about 6 billion people. They say about 6 billion people. About 2 billion are Christians. Maybe if I will illustrate that, if I request someone at the front, two person to stand, you don't need to do anything, just to stand. Maybe just two sisters here. And they say there are about 2 billion Christians. But about 1 billion are what I shared this morning, those of you who are here, whom what we call Christians who think they are Christians, but have not encountered the transforming power of the Christian gospel. So how these 1 billion Christians who think they are Christians can be saved is when the other 1 billion Christians begin to reach out to their close neighbor. And this, I think, is a challenge in Europe, the re-evangelization of the West. But there's another maybe 2 billion Christians, maybe on the third row, uh, to who would stand up. And they represent another 2 billion non-Christians who lived in the midst of Christians. So the challenge for the church, this incarnational church, is that we are to do this twin witness, to be witnesses in our own Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. They are Christians who were nominal Christians, who need to be re-evangelized. But they are also non-Christians who are living in our community. And I think this is the world we live today. In Europe, in Edinburgh, we have Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus at our doorstep. So mission, this incarnational church, is no longer just doing mission going out there. And I think this is wonderful because previously, when we talk about mission, it's only for some people who are called to be missionaries. No, I can't. No, I'm not called to be a missionary. But here we find that God has brought the nations to our doorstep. You don't need a visa. You don't need to cross nation in order to be a missionary. To reach out to a Buddhist friend, to a Hindu friend, to a Muslim neighbor. But then, let us not forget, I'm sorry you're sitting just for another one minute, because there are another two billion somewhere out there, two persons who will stand up for us. Right at the end, thank you. You can't even see it. No, within the Christian body, there are another two billion, what people call unreached people's group. Well, they're not unreached to the Christian gospel, but they're unreached because if we just are busy doing mission at our doorstep, reaching out and thinking that we have done the Great Commission, we have forgotten that there are people in other countries, in other cultures, who will never hear the Christian gospel until and unless out of these one billion Christians, some of them are sent out cross-culturally. You know, they have to find ways in order to get out there, to learn a new language, live among a new culture, 
in order to bring the Christian gospel. Thank you, six billion people. <laughs> and I think this is really the heartbeat for us as a church. When we think about the groaning creation, what is the greatest need in the world? It's true, the world needs poverty elevation. It is a scandal if people who are born in a context of poverty, we who live in a land of abundance, if we are not reaching out to this challenge of world poverty. The world also has the greatest need to have reconciliation between division of tribes and nation. But the greatest need is the need of a Christian gospel. And out of these one billion people, we need to send out people both cross-culturally as well as witnesses in our own land. Last but not least, we come to the heart of this passage where again notice Paul's conjunction, these joining words, in the same way. Earlier in verse 23, not only so, but in verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Remember the Russian doll? Within the groaning creation, we find the groaning church. Whenever there is a church that prays for the groaning world, whenever out of this church you send out mission families to Muslim countries, to India, to Africa, we are partaking with the groaning creation. But then many a times, as Rosie in the context of prostitution as we have seen today, or others who are working in the midst of Muslim contacts will tell us that very often the church is a small community in a world of great need. And we find that we ended up with a situation where even if we want to pray, we enter into moments of speechlessness where words cannot express. And here we find is the heart of the passage where we are willing to enter into the pains of the world and then we find that we by ourselves cannot meet or solve the pain of the world. And it is on those moments that we are introduced to the Holy Spirit where we find that what is true of the world and the church is actually true also of the groaning spirit. Within the groaning creation, and within the groaning of the church, God, this strange God, is groaning also. This is the Christian answer to the problem of pain in the world. You know, sometimes we hear of the Holy Spirit merely as an empowering and triumphant spirit. Seldom are we introduced to this groaning spirit. And part of that is to our own impoverishment because we know a form of Christianity that is very individual, privatized, and spiritualized. We have not experienced what it meant to live in a context of groaning world. And that is a tension. But this is the invitation of the Apostle Paul. When you and I are willing to let go and leave behind the comforts of our Christianity, and wherever God is calling us, it could be a neighbor who is in pain. It could be a friend who has just lost a loved one. 
It could be reaching out to people that we are not comfortable with. Maybe reaching out to Muslim friends. But as we share with the pain of the world, we will experience this God, this groaning God. So in closing, what is God saying to us about our role in a hurting world? How can our church be a healing community so that mission is not just out there in the ends of the world, but mission is also here wherever there is a pain? Is God speaking to us regarding broken families, broken lives, and our own needs for healing and restoration? Let us pray. Lord, I do not know the needs of each one of us, but you, the Holy Spirit, knows. Maybe this is not the time to talk about the needs of the world. If within our own hearts, our own families, there's pain. Holy Spirit, come in a fresh way that our hearts will be open to you to receive a ministry of healing and restoration. Secondly, Lord, we pray for Charlotte Chapel as a church that is concerned with the need of the world. Help us to be an incarnational church that reaches out in community around us, but also in our support of mission partners and mission families as they represent our community here in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America. But most of, all, most of all, Lord, we pray that we will leave this service with a new awareness of you as our groaning God. You are not out there in heaven, unconcerned with our pain, but you enter into this groaning world. Help us to worship you and receive you as a God who loves us and cares deeply for each one of us. For we pray in Jesus' name.